what is going on in the real estate market today. We're seeing prices grow. We're seeing demand at an all-time high. And we'll be talking about why that is, some of the numbers behind it, and some of the trends that are happening. Phenomenal episode with a very special guest. So let's get right to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. If you're ready to start leveraging the power of partnership in your portfolio, then I invite you to invest directly alongside us in the same type of institutional investments that I personally invest in. These are located in some of the strongest markets across the country, operated by managers with decades of experience, and we come together to leverage the power of partnership to be able to deliver phenomenal returns. You can learn more and apply to work directly with us at vonfinch.com invest be able to schedule a time directly with a member of our team and see if this is the right fit for you and your portfolio. That's vonfinch.com slash invest. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I've got a very special guest, Kathy Fetke's back in the studio. How are you doing today, Kathy? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing amazing and I'm excited to talk with you because you're always full of so much knowledge about what's going on in the investment world. And for those of you guys who haven't listened, I encourage you to go back and listen to an earlier episode where Kathy was on and dove into lots of great stuff. But Kathy is the co-CEO of Real Wealth and the best-selling author of Retire Rich with Rentals. And you've seen her on tons of different media from NPR to CNN to Wall Street Journal to tons in between. And she really specializes in helping people build multi-million dollar real estate portfolios to generate passive income. And she's an expert at studying and getting into what's happening with the real estate market. So we're going to focus a lot of today's episode focus on what's happening right now and what the impact of that could be. So uh, you ready to get started, Kathy? I am. Well, so diving right into it, we're in a market where things feel very hot. We're seeing properties sell very quickly. We're seeing a lot of competition, both in the single family and in the multifamily sector and in many different sectors across the real estate asset class. So tell our listeners what's really happening right now within the market and what could this mean for investors? It's quite a phenomenon, isn't it? It's really not what we expected a year ago. I should say what most people weren't expecting. But if you talk to demographers, if you talk to people who've really been studying generations and migration patterns, and you could see that there would be a housing boom over the next three years. That was pretty well predicted, simply due to the millennials coming of age. There's been a lot of talk in the past that the millennials were delayed in doing things like forming families and, and having babies. And while that may be true slightly, maybe a year or two difference, uh, you know what? Millennials are people too. That's the new hashtag. <laughs> you know, they're doing what the rest of us have done, falling in love, getting married, having babies, wanting a place to live. And right now the largest group of millennials is 28 years old. So if that tells you anything, they are forming households. This was expected. 
COVID accelerated it for sure. So COVID's really accelerated this demographic trend that was already going on. So when people are looking at the market and they're thinking it's heating up and they're feeling like, oh, well, this is exactly what happened in 2007 and 2008. Maybe we're going to deal with another one of those kind of scenarios. Is this different? It's very different. And I'm sure you've had other guests talk about how it's different. Maybe some of your listeners are too young to remember what that was like back in 2007. I know for me, I was in the thick of it. I was a mortgage broker at that time. And uh, starting at 2004, I knew how easy it was to give a loan away to anyone with terrible credit, with no money, sometimes with no job. I mean, it really was a credit bubble for sure, unprecedented. Not sure who sat in a boardroom and decided that was a good idea. And it even got so crazy that you could get money back for buying a home. Uh, you could get extra money for furniture and, and fixing the house up and investment property was unlimited with no money down. I mean, it was crazy times. It was great. If you bought the right stuff, you could literally buy unlimited number of properties with no money down. So it is not the same today at all. We know what happened. Uh, many of those loans reset Again, one thing that what happened back then is people were qualified based on a teaser rate. So let's say the real actual monthly payment of a loan was $2,000. They would maybe just have a portion of that. So you qualify at say $500 a month, knowing that that payment was going to adjust to 2000 and that person could not pay that. So there was a lot known. It was really, really poor underwriting back then. Fast forward to today, not at all the case. Underwriting, as we know, has been very, very strict. I just showed a slide. I'm doing a, an update. Uh, I do my mid-year update at Real Wealth every time, every summer, to kind of see where we're at, see if my predictions were right. And what we're seeing is improved savings, improved debt-to-income ratios, Improved FICO scores with people who are getting loans. I mean, there's a really high quality borrowers, full documentation, bearing it all, showing all their financials, and they're looking better than ever. So completely different scenario today than, than in 2008. It's totally different. Now people are actually being qualified for loans. The issue is not the fact that the foundation of the system is collapsing like it was back in 2008 with the issues with mortgages. It's the fact there's not enough housing and that if anything, inflation is causing even more drive of people to be able to go out and run and buy these properties. So what role do you think inflation is playing in what's happening or is from the numbers you're looking at, does this feel purely from a demographics result? I mean, inflation is generally a supply demand issue. If there was a ton of properties on the market, then there wouldn't be this kind of inflation with real estate. There's massive inflation on materials for building homes. It's, it's due to a lack of supply. So if we kind of look at what happened over the last 10 years, so many people have been operating with wounds from 2008, especially builders. But the rest of us keep wondering, oh my gosh, is that going to happen again? I don't want to go through that again. I still see it online when I see you know, my friend, you know, I go to my YouTube channel or I go to other people's YouTube channel. I see people who don't know anything about real estate. And the first thing they say is, oh, it's a bubble. 
you know, they make up all this stuff because it feels so fresh and it hurts so much. It hurts so many people back then when they thought they, you know, were homeowners and then next thing you know, they weren't or they owned a lot of investment property, which anybody could buy. Again, the qualification, the, the standard was so low. Anyone could do it. All you had to have was someone like me as a mortgage broker to say, hey, I could get you 20 loans, you know? So it was very different times. People are really, really scared it's gonna happen again, but they don't understand the fundamentals. Now, the people who should have understood the fundamentals are builders, right? If you're gonna build, and our company at Real Wealth does, we syndicate, meaning we raise money from investors and we buy land and we develop. So when you're developing property, you have to be able to forecast. You have to know it's coming because it takes so long to build. So builders really should have very good advisors telling them what's coming. But unfortunately, because again, so many builders got wiped out, they got hurt, they lost everything, they went bankrupt, and many were consolidated and bought by the national builders they just were kind of terrified to get wiped out again for obvious reasons. And banks, same thing. They didn't want to be lending to builders in case another 2008 was coming. What they weren't looking at is how different things are today from then. For example, back then, you probably remember people were speculating buying investment properties in Florida. And people were making so much money. They would buy a condo. They'd just get in a contract on a condo. And by the time the condo was finished, they made a few hundred thousand dollars. So of course they're going to do 10 more of those. It was pure speculation. Those of us who are investing in Florida today, we're not speculating. We're watching demographics. The demographic shift hadn't quite happened yet in 2008. It was coming, but a lot of that building was too soon. Now, again, when I say COVID changed things, people who were planning on retiring in Florida, but maybe didn't have, they were waiting for retirement or they were hoping they could get a job in Florida, but the jobs weren't there. They maybe dreamed of retiring by the beach, but it wasn't time. COVID hit and now they could do it. You know, now they could move there, but that was already happening. People were already working remotely before COVID. People were already retiring before COVID because you have two demographics, massive amounts of baby boomers retiring. We know that. And where are they going? You know, affordable places that feel like you're on vacation. That's what retirees do. And they're going to Florida. They're not going to stay in a high priced market like New York City if they don't have to. They're going to go somewhere cheap and where they can go to the beach and not, you know, every day, not just on vacation. But then you have these millennials who suddenly, you know, they're the highest, most educated group ever of Americans. They have access to more information than our government had when I was their age. You know, at the palm of their hands, they can research anything and they know how to do it. These are very, very smart people that can work anywhere. If they've got their college degree, the chances are they can probably work remotely. So why not move to Florida? Why not move to a ski resort area? Wherever it is that you want to live, maybe it's Costa Rica. I don't know. People can live anywhere these days and still make a pretty decent salary. So you take that New York City salary and all of a sudden you can buy a $500,000 mansion, you know, in some place um, that would be just a studio apartment, maybe if you're lucky and in a high priced city. And we're just seeing the demographic shift really, really take off. 
It's happening very quickly. And it's such a good reminder that builders have not been building enough housing for the last decade. You know, one of my first business partners was building hundreds of houses and ended up losing hundreds of houses, tens of millions of dollars in 2008 and happened to not get wiped out. And so early on in my career, I started surrounding myself with these people who had been through some of the toughest emotional challenges of real estate. And so I was very conservative last year. I sold a number of properties. I went to cash where I could. I was making decisions from a place of conservation of capital over growth. And where are we at a year later? We could have never imagined that we'd be here. I'm very happy with all of those decisions. I'd always rather not lose money than, uh, you know, have the opportunity to make a little bit. That's one of the decisions you make. And one of the things that I think is important for people to know is that when you're looking at what's happening in the market, that there was plenty of people who went that direction, who had that experience and went through that. And there was other people who said, I've never been through any kind of downturn. I'm going to double down. And it worked out very well for those folks. So we're seeing building happening at all time highs as this housing markets in really, really hot supply. What are you seeing in comparison with the multifamily market compared to the single family? Because both are very hot, but I think it sounds like for slightly different reasons. Well, you know, they're the same reasons. Honestly, people are needing housing. And, you know, if you can't afford to own your own home, you rent. Or if you don't want to own your own home, you rent. And if you want, you know, a cheaper place to live, you live in an apartment. Or if you want to live closer to town, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same factors that have always been there. If you want a little bit more space, you go to the suburbs and you rent a house. So both are in demand because household formation is growing again, because these millennials, the largest group, this is the largest demographic ever, the largest generation and the largest part of that generation is 28 years old. So that's when you're kind of getting it together, right? You know, you're probably moved out of mom and dad's. You probably got a decent job by then. Maybe you're, again, you're getting married. My daughter is that demographic. She's turning 29. She is married with a kid and two dogs. They're not going to live in an apartment. They're going to live in a house because they can afford to, but also because they really need that space. But if they were not married yet and didn't have a baby, they might live in an apartment closer to town where there's more things to do. Now, obviously during COVID, there was nothing to do, right? <laughs> there was no benefit to paying more to live in a big city. You weren't going to work, you weren't going to restaurants, you weren't going to shows. So all that glamour of living in an apartment in a cool city just disappeared. And it became way more cool to have backyard parties, right? Because that's all you could do. Um, or, you know, at least have a trampoline or something in your backyard that made it more fun. So we did obviously see that shift from people who could afford that. But again, that's not everybody. So across the board, rents are going up across the board because of this household formation, this massive demand and not enough supply because really the builders were paranoid about overbuilding. The lenders were paranoid about lending to builders for fear of, again, another 2008. So we just got really behind on building new supply for this growing population. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And we're seeing the impact of that when it comes to prices. I know from an investor perspective, it's a very competitive market. In some ways, it's very difficult to find inventory, whether you're looking at single family homes or you're looking at multifamily, large commercial properties. So much money is moving into that space. 
What do you think the impact is for investors who are working on placing capital and buying properties in the midst of this type of environment? And what are you hearing from other people or yourself in the space? Well, I was one of those people a few years ago, really worried about some of the multifamily new investors who were not really calculating the possibility that rents could go down. Uh, So to me, that was really scary. Well, you know what? They won, you know, because rents actually went up in the, in most cases. And just like you, you know, I, I was taking a more conservative approach and there's not necessarily a downside to that. You know, if somebody underwrote a deal only showing rents going up and it worked for them and everybody made money, good for them. Now, the opposite could have happened, especially a year ago. We had no idea. It was a really scary time. All these eviction moratoriums and so forth that if it made sense to, in the protection of all involved to, to sell, and that's what you did. Why not? You got money now. You can go back in the game. <laughs> but I do believe, that, you know, if you're underwriting today, it is still my belief that there is a ceiling at some point. At some point, people are going to max out on what they can afford, and and that's what I think we're going to start seeing in housing. Rates have been low for a long time. And uh, they went, every time they, they go down, people can afford more of a house. When they go up, they afford less of a house. And if they can't afford any house, you know, then they rent, generally speaking. And how much can they afford in rent? It's all going to be a matter of supply and demand. If there's not enough rentals out there and rents keep going up, they're going to be forced to spend more on housing. If there are more properties that come online and more rentals available, then rents will go down. Of course, we saw that in big cities as more and more people left, but they're coming back now. The cool factor is back, right? Restaurants are reopened, shows are open. The boomerang is intense. It's more intense than anyone maybe expected. I think that the uh, TSA is busier than it's ever been. Like people... Maybe they haven't seen their family for a year. They haven't seen loved ones. They haven't traveled. So they, they're going crazy. They're out there doing stuff. So now people are moving back to the cities and, and there's a little bit of a shift there happening too. So bottom line, supply, demand, lots of household formation, lots of young people finding jobs. There's what, 9 million job openings right now? <laughs> 9 million job openings. And a really interesting statistic right now is this quits rate, which is people saying, I'm going to quit this job and get a better job because there's 9 million jobs out there. So in that process, the only reason you would do that is if you got a better job, like better location, better whatever. When there's 9 million jobs available, usually the employer has more incentives. So we're seeing that kind of shift happening too, where people didn't do stuff for a year. So they saved they have lots of, the savings rate has gone up. Their balance sheets are looking better and they're ready to go. They're revved up and ready to go. <laughs> so I expect uh, more of a boom over the next year and maybe the year after that. So when someone is looking and they're making investments, but they're looking at like a five or seven year time horizon, how does what's happening today impact that? 
like when they're buying today and things are hot and we're seeing values go up, how are you thinking? You're also a conservative investor. You like to make sure you're preserving capital because you've experienced what it's like to lose equity or to lose your own capital. How are you looking at that? How should other investors look at that depending on what their risk profile is? Yeah, it's a, a great question because yeah, we do think that this boomerang will continue for a year. I know at Housing Wire, their chief economist has said that we'll have all the jobs back by 2022, but possibly sooner with, with all these job openings. But what after that? What happens when the Federal Reserve decides to raise interest rates to kind of slow down the boom? That generally slows down housing as well, or at least that home price growth when um, interest rates go up. And that most likely will happen a little bit. It will tick up this year and it will tick up a bit next year. But what will happen in three years from now, four years from now, what will interest rates be at? I've heard all kinds of opinions on that. Some people I really trust believe it's impossible for rates to go up much more because there's just so, so much debt that the government itself could not afford interest rates to go up and, and make that debt payment. So a lot of what I have heard, and I again, I'm not an expert on interest rates or the Federal Reserve, is that they're probably going to stay low for a while. So then what happens instead of raising rates to slow down the economy, prices will just rise until they can't rise anymore, where people just simply can't afford to pay more. And that's where it starts to just level out, not any kind of crash. I don't personally see a housing crash in the future, simply because of the things we talked about earlier, the people who have owned homes for the last 12 years have been highly qualified, have put down payments, have tons of equity, low fixed rate mortgages. Uh, many have not cashed out that equity. They're sitting on a lot of equity. Where's the problem here? Like even with these forbearances, we have 2 million people still in forbearance who haven't paid their mortgage. It turns out they are in better shape than they were before the pandemic because they haven't made mortgage payments. They've been saving, their savings rates improved, and they're most likely going to just have a loan modification. So they've kind of got a year, year and a half, not paying the mortgage, and it just goes on the end of the loan. So they have savings. People aren't going to suddenly go, oh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to just sit here and watch this wave from a, a distance. I'm just going to stand here, not move with this wave miles away coming at me. I mean, that's, that's what it's like. You're just going to put your house on the market. You're not going to say, oh no, I can't make my payment. I'm just going to give all this equity to the bank. No, people are going to put it on the market, get a real estate agent and sell it because there's tremendous demand and they're going to cash in and take their equity and move on. So if they're underwater or don't have any equity, maybe then they walk away, but it would be such a small, small percentage of people in that situation where they don't have to destroy their credit. They just sell their house. So I don't see any kind of housing crisis coming, at least for, I don't see any crisis coming. It's too solid. It's always good news to hear that because you know, as we're looking at the data, as we're seeing what's happening, it doesn't make logical sense that the government would be able to raise interest rates. Now, we might see anything happen. Anything can happen. So we're going to still be conservative when we're going in and we're making these investments. But at the end of the day, there is so much that goes into what leads to a downturn. We just had an opportunity to potentially face 
a major economic downturn. And what we ended up doing was seeing that the government said, nope, we refuse to allow the opportunity for that to happen. They pumped more money than they've ever pumped in. And we're seeing asset prices go up at a rate we haven't seen them go up ever. We've never seen housing raise at this rate in one year, I believe in history, especially in some markets. And so what's important to understand, in my opinion, as an investor is where are you going to be placing money to be able to stay ahead of that? If we are seeing inflation happen in different areas of the economy and different commodities, and we're seeing value of homes go up, we're seeing lumber and other commodities going up. We want to be in a position where we're making those investments, where we are going to protect our principal. So we're going to make sure the money we put in is going to be secure, but we're also going to have an opportunity to be able to beat inflation as well as be able to create a return. And it seems like the smart money is consistently, continuously moving into real estate and out of assets that have shorter time windows, time frames. At least that's what I've been seeing. A lot of money has been moving into multifamily. There's a lot of competition in that market, but it's not exclusive to multifamily. We're seeing that across the board. And so I'm curious, where have you been seeing the smart money move within the circles or the research that you've done? Well, our niche has always been going into secondary and ter- tertiary markets where the cash flow has been better. Primary markets would be New York, LA, Seattle, San Francisco. Secondary might be the sexy six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Secondary might be Atlanta, Dallas, you know, Houston, Chicago. And then the tertiary would be that's kind of like third level out would be like the Cleveland's and Cincinnati and and Birmingham's of the world. So we've really focused on the secondary and tertiary markets where there is job growth and migration patterns. We already thought those areas were way undervalued. And if we could follow the jobs and see, okay, big companies are moving to these areas. Housing has not caught up at all. In fact, if anything, it's way undervalued. And yet people are moving there and people are moving there with pretty good salaries or they're retired with lots of money. So that's the same thing we've been doing for almost 20 years now. And it keeps working. You know, it just keeps working. And when you look at the cities that recovered the fastest from this V-shaped recovery, it's the areas that we're in. Jacksonville, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati had... Oh my gosh. And just the last year, like 17% home price appreciation, 17%. That means if you bought a house last year and you put 20% down, you made a hundred percent return in a year. It's amazing. But it's still affordable. And so that's amazing that you, that you could invest in an area that went up 20% and it's still affordable and still cash flows. So these are areas that we just already realized had a long runway. They were undervalued. Businesses recognize that there are tax incentives for businesses to move there. They could pay their employees a decent salary and those employees could have a nice lifestyle in like San Francisco, New York, where you can make $200,000 and still be starving. So, you know, it's those same trends following the jobs, following the population and the affordability. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's such such a great point that you're making and that there's a lot of different options and ways that people can really get investing and be able to leverage the fact that there is such a strong housing market currently. And so what I'm curious is as we wrap up, what would be the advice you'd have to investors who've been thinking about sitting on the sidelines, they've been watching, maybe they've been watching for a year, maybe they've been watching for longer and they're wondering, 
wow, I really missed out on what was available over the last 12 months. What advice would you have to them as we close up? You know, you missed out, you missed out, you missed out in 2009 when homes were a 10th of the price today, you know, you missed out not buying last year. You don't want to miss out again. And if you're thinking there's going to be a lull, there, there will be a little more inventory coming on for sure. It'll get a little easier. There won't be 20 bids on the same property. I do believe that we're going to start to see a little bit of relief in the housing market. But if you're waiting for prices to crash or to go down or things to get more affordable or cash flows to increase, you're going to be waiting a long time. You really have to go back to the fundamentals, which is, and I'll go over those really quickly, really quickly, because we're wrapping up. Number one, most important fundamental with real estate is the ability to borrow money, to walk into a bank and the bank puts up 75 to 80% of the money at under 5%. Okay. So right off the bat, cheap money, cheap money that's cheaper than inflation. Okay. So you can walk in to a bank, they pay for the asset. You only have to put 20 to 25% down. And if you syndicate, you can raise that 20 to 25% down or borrow it. So leverage. Then the second form of leverage is somebody else uses that asset and pays that 80% down. So you're borrowing the money. Someone else is paying it off. Then Uncle Sam comes in and says, hey, thanks for doing that. Thanks for providing housing. We're going to give you a whole bunch of tax credits for that. Tax benefits for providing housing. And then you've got appreciation and loan pay down. So if all that happens is you're able to borrow money, have someone else pay it back, you've won, right? Because over time, you're building equity. But if you add a little appreciation over time, you're getting out in both directions, someone paying it down and you're making money plus the tax benefits. So you kind of can't go wrong if you buy the right property. You don't want to buy a piece of junk. You don't want to pay for too much, but you can learn how to buy right. But to sit and wait, for a better timing, you'll be waiting a long time. Absolutely. There's no better time than right now, especially once you've learned the right things to do and you know what to look out for. You're working with the right experienced partners or teams to be able to do that. So Kathy, it's always a pleasure talking with you. It's always fun. We should have you on more often. You're a wealth of knowledge. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah. Realwealthnetwork.com. Real like your real estate, wealth, like your money and network as the network we have nationwide helping investors buy their investment properties. So realwealthnetwork.com. And then, like you said, I've got a book, Retire Rich with Rentals on Amazon. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to talk with you and you guys, everyone who's been listening. Remember, ask yourself this question. What did I learn today and how can I apply it directly in my life and go take some action? So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. listening to the investor mindset podcast if you like what you heard make sure to rate review subscribe and share it with a friend head over to the investor to join the insider club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level